And welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sansbury. And we are here with Gerald Vernon Jackson. Welcome, Gerald. Indeed. Welcome. So I'm outnumbered today by the, the yellow team. I'm Come, glad to hear it. Indeed, this should always be the case. Well, it, it, it is. It, it happens periodically. To be fair, it was Simon's turn yesterday to be to be outnumbered, and uh, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll enjoy ourselves today. So, Gerald, just to start us off, obviously, current leader of um, Portsmouth City Council in in the fantastic three-way marginal that is Portsmouth South. Would you like to introduce yourself and give us a bit of your background and how you come to be standing for election in our fair city? Okay, so I'm now in my 12th year of being leader of the council uh, in Portsmouth, in two stints, um, so 10 years being leader, um, then four years when Donna Jones was leader, a Conservative leader, um, voted in by the UKIP councillors and the Labour councillors on Portsmouth City Council, um, and then um, I'm a year and three quarters into a second term as leader, uh, voted in by um, uh, the Lib Dems and by Labour councillors. And what else do you need to know about me? Um, so I do a variety of different things. Um, I've uh, been involved in local government for a long time, so I've been a councillor for almost 30 years. Uh, I'm, uh, But I do quite a lot of work in London on behalf of all the councils, so um, I chair the Culture, Tourism and Sport Board, so I speak on behalf of all the councils in the country on Culture, Tourism and Sport, um, so my job is to lobby ministers and and different organisations um, to do with that. So we've been doing quite a lot of work um, looking, for instance, at the visitor economy uh, and the problems that they may have around Brexit, um, but also around things like cultural-led regeneration. Uh, and the, uh, the positive stories that's got around the country and things for people to learn about that. Um, I've been a Lib Dem uh, all my life. My, my, both my mum and my granddad were local councillors. So um, uh, what goes on on the planning committee uh, was bread and butter things at breakfast table most of my life. Um, um, my granddad died when I was very young, um, just one year old. Um, and my mum then got involved in politics when I was at university um, because she got fed up just sort of commenting about things that were going on and decided she wanted to see if she could make sure there were better decisions made. And I guess probably at the time a bit of a trailblazer in terms of women in politics. Yes, yeah. and my, my aunt um, started uh, an organisation called the 300 Group and she's a lady called Leslie Abdella, and that that group was a cross-party group to try to get 300 women MPs in Parliament. Um, started in the 80s, and support from all parties, and the change in Parliament has been dramatic. It is a world of difference, isn't it? We covered it, I think, on, yep. on mm. one of our previous podcasts, just the the whole middle-aged male and pale nature of Parliament yeah. is, is, is really starting to change. Well, yes, I think there, for me there are other worries that flow out of that. I think in Parliament my worry is that we now have across party groups of people who are MPs who have little or no life experience, that they come into it very young, having been to university, 
then worked for an MP or worked as a special a special advisor, um, and and then become an MP, and all their life has been politics. Yeah, they got no experience of of what it's like to have a real job or anything like that. And I, and it's it's in all parties, and I think it serves us badly. Bit of that life experience. Yeah, thing. really, yeah. really important to have that life experience. Yeah. So. Um, other bits and pieces about me. So I've done different jobs. Um, I, I, I was a, a fell into being a social worker by mistake. Um, I used to lock young people up for a living. People who were on life sentences, but too young to go to adult prison yet. Um, I spent my university summers in Northern Ireland working um, on play schemes to try to get Catholic and Protestant kids to play together during the Troubles, so they, wow. so they wouldn't kill each other later in life. Um, I've got a, partly because my dad got great interest in, in Africa, because he spent most of his adult working life living in Africa. Um, uh, so I do a variety of different bits and pieces. It's a pretty rich tapestry. Yeah, it is a rich and varied career. Well, no, I don't think I've had a career. I've had a series of accidents. There wasn't a plan. It yeah. just, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so, well, there's a, there's a saying, isn't there? There are only ever two plans, and that's lucky and wrong. Yes. So it's, uh, it's not a bad place. It's not bad. And, but, but to end up in a job um, leading a council which is not well paid and for which you can't get a pension from, um, and doing that for 12 years is probably not a good plan, but such is life. Uh, it's, a, it's a job that needs doing. So it does. Uh, and uh, yep. And uh, for, for all the stick you get, I'm sure you know the vast majority of people who get into local politics don't do it for fame or fortune. No, absolutely but, not. Uh, no, you're completely right across all parties. Absolutely. So we've got to face the big question, and it's one that Simon and I have spent endless hours fighting mercilessly over. Now I'm guessing, owing to the fact that. Um, you're running on the Unite to Remain banner. It's fairly clear where you stand on Brexit, but yep. we've, we're asking all of the, the candidates. So what is your position on Brexit and, and where, where do you think we should be going next? Uh, I think it's potentially very, very damaging both for the country and for this city. Um, I think it's a bad idea. I'm For a whole series of reasons. Um, but I think it is, it is, needs to be thought through carefully and that the people who should make the final decision on whether we go for the government's deal or not should be the people of the country and not the MPs. I think they have shown over the last year that they're not hugely representative and I'm not sure they should be trusted with such a big decision. We started this process as people in this country and we should be the people to conclude it. It's an interesting perspective. So, in terms of, I guess we talked about the most likely outcome at the moment, and I guess it, a Conservative majority yeah. would be liable to just press ahead and, yeah. and get Brexit done. Labour uh, are interesting. You know, my, my perspective is the deal that they're looking to negotiate is a is a Remain light or a sort of non-Brexit, and then put that to the Remain vote. Um, but that they would implement Brexit. And they've been very clear. Yeah, uh, and I guess the, it, it depends whether you consider the, the the deal that they're putting together with EFTA and free movement and but ECG. The, but that means leaving the European Union. Yeah. And that means Brexit. Yeah, no, I'd say it, it is, and perspective, and we're not going to take this, and we're not with two of you, because I can see Simon straining, I can hear him straining at the leash there, waiting to jump in. 
Brexit means Brexit, right? Yeah, I did stop it. <laughs> so, over to Simon, who is the uh, guardian okay. of our high-tech question selection machine. So, when we refer... Okay, can, I, can I come back to Brexit? Because I, I think there are some local perspectives that I think are useful for us to think about. Uh, part of my concern around Brexit is, is a wider historical one. Because Britain's policy for 150, 200 years has been around trying to make sure that we keep a balance of power in Europe, that no one power becomes overmighty, yeah. uh, and that um, we've always campaigned in favour of free trade. And my worry with Brexit is that we are retreating from that historical perspective, that, that we are walking away from the club which guarantees both of those things in Europe. And my concern is that we just become a little England as opposed to being a Great Britain who has influence and power because we work with other countries as being part of, of, of organisations, whether it's um, the EU, whether it's NATO or whatever. So I'm, so part of my concern is around that, that wider philosophical thing. I, I've also got lots of concerns about how things will, will pan out locally. We, we know we are losing lots of, of medical staff at QA. We know since Brexit has, has happened, or the vote, We've lost over 500 nurses. People are feeling unwelcome in this country if they come from Europe and they're choosing to go home. Now, we know we've got huge staff shortages in the NHS. Why are we doing something that makes that worse and means that people in Portsmouth have less likelihood of being able to get decent treatment? And my other concern is around jobs. If we think in this city, one of, the, one of the areas we've been wanting to develop is to make sure that we have high-end, well-paid engineering jobs in the, uh, in the manufacturing uh, sector. Uh, and with Airbus, we have the headquarters of the UK satellite industry. And if we move out of a free trade arrangement, we know that every single satellite that they, these people make is launched in the EU. So if we've moved away from free trade, What's the long-term chance that the French and German owners of Airbus will choose to invest in the next generation of facilities in the UK as opposed to investing in their plants in France and Germany? And I think that's a long-term risk to the manufacturing and scientific basis of our economy. And why would we choose to put that at risk? That's a great question. And I guess it's it's one that we pose to the thirty three odd million people who cast a vote yeah. back in twenty sixteen, and it's yeah. um, and, and it, I think there is a, there is an element of the ne the next stage is always going to be a, a bit of a leap into the unknown. Mm. And again, that was one of the key taglines during the campaign. That yeah. you know, do you want to vote for a leap in the dark? Yeah, and do, do you want to vote to give up control? Which is what people have done. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, now are you? Uh, Shall we move on to the bottle pondering? Should, I think we should. I think we should. Anyway. So, this one could run to another two hours. So. <laughs> yeah, let's not. Okay, so our highly technical Pompey Politics pot of pondering has 
has the same nine questions in it for each candidate. You just pick three at random. Okay, so if you want to take your, so Gerald's gone for a different tactic of picking all three out at first, which is um, which is interesting and innovative. So you want to take your first post-it note? No, it probably isn't interesting. <laughs> it's just different. Well, we see what the answers the are. Things yeah. Are, yeah, we'll judge the answers. We, we can do the whole kind of analysis thing of what the different methods of question picking. If you picking. could change anything about the 2016 referendum, except the result, what would it have been? Number one. Uh, answer them one. Uh, yeah, if, if it is, okay. You're building up a head of steam. Okay. See what what because he might want to know about things that people are deeply on. Um, do you think the NHS will all rem always remain free at the point of use? And first past the post, protector of our democracy or burden? Which one do we want to do first? That's your choice. No, oh. no, 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 no. Your boss is here. Well, let's go with the first one that, that you opened. Okay. If I could have changed anything about the 2016 result, I think probably it would have been good to have less Russian interference um, in the result. Um, but I think probably we were fairly naive um, in thinking that um, people wouldn't interfere um, in our in our elections, because our electoral system is a Victorian sort of structure, it really hasn't changed a lot since then. Um, it's now just about coped with the invention of the internal combustion engine. Um, but but barely, you're right. Um, but but I think we're probably not as good at recognising that, particularly Russia will want to destabilise countries that are, are stable and sensible in, in order to try to make sure that they have more influence. So um, I, I think probably lack of Russian intervention would have been a good thing. And it might have produced a more sensible result. Do you think there was an element of complacency amongst the major parties, though? It's one of the things I've always reflected on, is that the Conservative Prime Minister campaigned for Remain, the leader of the opposition, such as he is... Well, he hardly campaigned. Sort of. He said 7 out of 10, I think, he said he... The, the Lib Dems have always campaigned for Remain. It's one of the things I look back on the result and almost can't see how Remain lost. I think it's very clear. Um that we don't have a system where the media have to report things in a fair and accurate manner. It would terrify the Daily Mail to have to report things in a fair and accurate manner. Um, and they, they've been happy to produce... Um, the stories that make Europe a whipping boy for, for, for decades. Um, so I was talking to people at the Pompey Pensioners today and saying, look, you, uh, it, when we leave the EU, if we leave the EU, we're leaving one club working out rules about how you do trade and we will join another one. Yeah. And we'll join the WTO, the World Trade Organization, which has a set of rules about how international trade shall, shall happen 
which has an unelected court who make judgments on countries that they can't get out of and how is that different from being part of Europe how is that back, about taking back control uh, and I think people didn't understand that the people who were pushing leave often appeared to do so for reasons where, where they knew that they were not telling the truth uh, and I don't know if that's because they're politically they think it's a better thing not to be in the EU. Maybe it's just that, as with someone, it would appear that it, they might make money by being out of the EU. Who knows? But it's. I, I think we had very inaccurate information given by lots of people. Thank you. Question. And and we were at least partly manipulated by people from outside outside of our country. Well, I mean, it was interesting because we, we talked actually with, with Amanda a lot about the, the impact of things like social media mm. on, on our society and our, you know, on our, our ability to actually have, to be honest, sane and reasonable public discourse. Yeah. Whereas, you know, social media seems to promote people to stick into the little echo chambers and shout shout at each other and there's no kind of, there's very little listening but lots of shouting going on. Whereas in reality if you sit down with someone and have a conversation you can at least disagree nicely or yeah. at least kind of you mm. know reasonably have a conversation but it does seem kind of point to what you were saying earlier on that our our voting system and our electoral system which is interesting because it's one of the, it kind of speaks to one of the other questions yeah. is set up for a bygone age and oh, has, it is nowhere near responded to the information 24 hour you know 24 7 information society that we have and not necessarily all of that information is accurate I think it is it's interesting we'll come on to the FTTP question because I've seen on on a lot of forums where it becomes very binary or tertiary in terms of are you red yellow or blue the number of people who've said well actually I'd like to be green but I can't really vote for the Greens because it's just a waste of a vote. Um, you know. So that leads us nicely into first past the post. Defender of our democracy or an outdated burden? I was once a member of a council where every single councillor was a Lib Dem. Because through per first past the post, all 24 councillors on Newburytown Council were Lib Dems. And anybody who voted for any other party was completely disenfranchised. Really? Completely mad. And totally unrepresentative. So, uh, First Past the Post is, is, is hugely outdated. Uh, it appears to increase the influence within the parties of their extremes. Um, as opposed to getting people to work together. Uh, it's also very unrepresentative where you can have regional parties like the SNP getting hugely more seats in Parliament than their national vote would produce. So they got something like 40-odd MPs or 35 MPs for 3% of the vote. Mm. Um, and that makes them almost as big a beneficiary of first past the post as the conservatives um, 
Uh, it, it is a system that is clearly not fit for purpose within the 20th, 20th century, let alone the 21st century. Um, we've done a move to um, in Scotland and in Wales for Assembly and Scottish Parliament elections, um, a, a more sensible system, and in Scotland for local elections, a more sensible system. Um, but people in both Conservative and Labour parties cling to cling to this in a way that is uh, very destructive. It's it's not good for our democracy to 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 weight different people's votes by so much. Um, it cannot be right in the long term for a democracy. It's interesting. My, I, I've always been very nervous of proportional representation. My, my fear with it is that it can hand the balance of power to the extremist of extremists. Because it's interesting that you know a lot of people, when the Conservatives went into a confidence and supply agreement with the DUP, went apoplectic. And I look at it, and as a Conservative myself, I've got to be honest, I wasn't comfortable mm. with the DUP as bedfellows, but it became a means to an end. Yep. And I guess, is is that the other side of the coin, that in a PR system, you, you find yourselves having to work collegiately in the middle, but then also having potentially to give ground to some very extreme views to, to get your policies across the line? In most places that have got proportional systems, you find that parties, governments rather, coalesce around the centre. Yeah. Um, and it produces strong and stable governments in most places. I don't think anybody can argue that the Dutch, because they've always got coalition government, have not had a strong and sensible government for the Netherlands. Um, the Germans almost always in coalition as well. It works pretty well for them. Um, I, I think actually our system means that people like Jacob Rees-Mogg and other people on the extreme right have more influence because they can influence within their one party as opposed to building a broader coalition. So uh, um, I think personally that um, governments of the centre um, of a moderate nature normally produce a better result for countries than any extreme in any direction and actually a proportionate system which makes people work together is by nature a better system. Beautiful. Third and final question. I can't remember what it was. Let's put my glasses on. Done that one. It was the NHS wasn't it? Yep. So will the NHS remain free at the point of delivery? It, it, it is mainly free most of the time at the point of delivery and I expect it will remain so. But it's not always free. Um, not many people have access to dentistry through the NHS anymore. That's now become a paid service. Um, uh, and the, the decision in 1948 when the NHS was created to make social care separate from and remain a paid service means in effect for, for, for long-term care people pay and that means that they have to either sell their houses at some point or, or have a charge against the house so 
I think you have to look across health and social care. Yeah. Um, it, it's all one, and uh, it's not all free now. I think it, because it is so valued by such a huge proportion of the nation, the chance of that changing and, and it being becoming a, a privatised NHS, I, don't, I just don't think that would happen. Yeah. Um, but things will be eaten around, around on the edges. Prescription charges in England are high. They've been abolished in Scotland. Um, that, by nature, for some people, forces them to make decisions about whether they can afford the medicines they've been prescribed to, to take. Um, I'm, I worry about that group of people who have just an, a little bit more money than if they were on benefit, yeah. but have that cliff edge that means they have to pay for everything. And that means they quite often can't afford quite a few things. The numbers of prescriptions that are issued but not presented is, is very high. Do you think the the because of the nature of the NHS and you know if we look at all the data, we've got a population where the proportion of older people is increasing, yeah. the number that are paying in is decreasing, mm -hmm. uh, that ratio is all headed the wrong way. Do you think some of the emotions surrounding the NHS actually stops us having grown-up discussions about how to pay for it in its future? I think around social care, yes. Um, around the NHS itself, no. Um, I, I think people are pretty clear about what, what should and shouldn't happen. And, and I think it's, it is something that people know and understand that they can't touch. Um, I think you're right in terms of the debate about social care, where people have come up with a series of answers most of which have quite a lot of similarity most of which are pretty sensible but most of which have been done to death at elections and hugely unpopular i mean I, yeah. in 2017 i looked at the consider what was dubbed the dementia tax yeah. which seemed to me to be an eminently sensible and really quite mm. socialist policy in that if you personally had assets in bricks and mortar to pay for your own social care, um, that seemed to me to be a perfectly reasonable thing to ask. But in terms of... Which is we, what we, happens now. We, yeah, we couldn't have made... Yeah, well, it was extending the current system, wasn't it? But as a policy, that couldn't have been any more unpopular. Yes. Um, and, and the backlash against it, um, well, interestingly, came from all sides of the yes. political spectrum. And I think one of the huge problems was of not putting a cap on the amount people would have to pay, because the Dilnot proposals set a cap of seventy thousand that you would have to pay for your for your personal care, mm. and and after seventy thousand you wouldn't be asked to put any more in. That was the thing that was missing um, from the last Conservative manifesto, and and that changed it quite dramatically. It did, um, yeah, yeah, it wasn't one of our. That's one of our vote grabbers, that one. But I think it, it, there is a chance in the next parliament, because I think people across all parties recognise now that this is extremely urgent, that, that they will sort this out amongst themselves, I, I think, reasonably quickly, and we will get a system where we have a, a national view about whether we pick the cost up through taxes, or we expect people to make a contribution. Yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm pretty hopeful that that we will find a solution because just because the pressure on NHS spending is so vast, uh, and if you don't sort out social care, you kill the NHS. Yeah.
yeah, we, we spoke about it, didn't we, about, yeah. you know, um, policies that were so big and so difficult mm. that you couldn't no one... necessarily push them through as, as any one party yeah. on your own. Yeah, it, it, it strikes me that actually it's, it's a bit of an output of our, of our electoral system, is that it, rely, it forces parties to require or seek large majorities in order to force through their policies, which then successive administrations either then undo or, or counter, which is not really an effective use of, of public money anyway. Yeah. When, in, when in fact, really, with all of these bigger things, because they will, the solutions and the problems outlive any administration, with environment, with yeah. health and social care, with all of, all of these things, even, even education, it should, it really, what would make sense would be sitting around the table and agreeing on what we can do, yeah. rather than... See, that's either. what you get with a proportionate system. People yeah. would work together much better. Yeah, and I'm, I'm hopeful, like yourself, on... I, I listened to, I think, Boris Johnson on Sunday Politics, when he wasn't being talked over, said that, 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 that the whole social care challenge is something they're going to look at as a cross-party issue, should they be returned. And yeah. you know, my, my hope is that it is, it is too big an issue for, for one party to try and solve and, on their own. And you solve... Solve it just after an election, not just before it. Absolutely. Okay. Superb. So, Fantastic. Portsmouth South, three, three-way margin, and there's ten days to go. Indeed, all to play for. All to play for. The clock is ticking. Marvelous. And actually, it's, it's interesting and good, because I think across party, we've got a good range of candidates in Portsmouth South, and we're very lucky in that way. In other seats, people aren't as lucky. Um, but also, because... Donna, Stephen and I worked together um, at the councillors of three group leaders. Yep. We know each other reasonably well. Um, we tend to get on reasonably well. Um, so, so I think actually we have a we have a better time in Portsmouth South than, than many other seats. And it's it's going to be a close one. We should be watching. Early. We, we, sh- we should see for the early hours on the thirteenth to see what the what the bosses have said. Absolutely. Right. Well, so you've been listening to the Pompey Politic podcast, and I've been Simon Sandsbury. I've been Ian Tiny Morris, and I'm Gerald Vernon Jackson. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Boom.